Hi, and welcome to Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We are committed to serving our community and the community abroad. We pray that the word you are about to hear will be a blessing to your life and that you allow the Holy Spirit to open your heart and receive what the Lord is speaking to you. Hey, we're going to be in John chapter 8. If you've got your scripture, I want to invite you uh, to join me there today. And I just want to say hi. It's so good to see you all. I mean that for real. I'm like really pumped up. And um, I think God's going to do some pretty cool stuff today. Y'all ready? Yeah, y'all are very vocal too. I like this. Y'all got that Holy Ghost. Uh, They decreased my sermon time. I see how it is. I thought I had 30 minutes, started at 25. Y'all hating on me. It's okay, I'll get it done in 25. That, that works. Um, hey, all right, let me, let me uh, just dive right in. John chapter 8, verse 12 through 14. And Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so the Pharisee said to him, Are you bearing witness about yourself? Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. I love the confidence that Jesus has. For I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. But you, you do not know where I came from or where I am going. And so this is uh, part four of a seven-week series that's ending on Resurrection Sunday. Uh, about the seven I am statements of Jesus Christ. And, and this is Jesus right here, given this I am statement, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Uh, the Westminster Confession, it's, it's, it, was, it was written you know, um, a couple hundred years ago, and, and, and it really dives into a lot of different doctrinal things out there whenever it comes to theology and history of the church and stuff. But one of the things that the Westminster Confession has in it is this saying right here, what is the chief end of mankind? Or what is the purpose? What is the end-all be-all? What is the purpose of mankind in this world? And I think that whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, we've all asked ourselves that question, what is my purpose, right? Anyone ever asked yourself that question, or is it just me? I know I've asked myself that question. Uh, if you're not a believer, it's, it's probably like, what's the point of all of this? What's the point of existence? What's the point of everything that's taking place uh, with the universe and the stars and the plants and the, the people and all of that. What is the point of it all? And it goes on to say, it says, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And so the response to that, the response of what's the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And John Piper changed one of those words and he changed it from to glorify God and he changed that word and to buy. So he says, to glorify God by enjoying him forever. That's something that we are all invited into, is to enjoy God forever, forever. And and so you see in John chapter 8, Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Ultimately, we can never truly enjoy God forever 
if we do not allow him to come in to every aspect of our life, if we do not allow him to invade the dark places of our heart that maybe we don't want to open up to other people. We can never walk in the abundant life that he talks about if we're constantly closing off certain sections or certain areas of our life to him. To be able to understand the context of John 8, you actually have to go back to John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, the Jewish people were celebrating a big festival. Jewish people, they like to party. They like to celebrate. And this particular festival was the Feast of Tabernacles. And it happened on the eighth month of every year, and it lasted eight days. And what it was meant was to symbolize or to reflect upon the Israelites that were once captive in Egypt under Pharaoh, being led by God out into the wilderness and then ultimately into the promised land. And, and so during this festival, there was a lot of things that they would do uh, to celebrate or to reflect upon it. One of the things was is that they would go to these massive water basins right outside of the temple. And you can literally go to Jerusalem and see where these, these huge water basins were. And they would fill up these giant jugs and they would go to the altar of the Lord. And on the west side of the altar, they would dump this water onto the altar. This is, and it may seem weird to you guys, but it was to symbolize the, rock that, the rocks that poured forth water whenever the Israelites needed drink or needed thirst. And so in John chapter 7, Jesus shows up onto the scene and he goes right to where the water is being poured on the altar and he says, hey, hey, if anyone drinks from me, you will never thirst again. If anyone drinks from me, you will never thirst again, symbolizing the water that even poured out for Moses and the Israelites hundreds of years ago, people still left there thirsty. But if you come to me, I'm going to be able to quench your thirst. Yeah, thank you. Y'all get excited. But it continues on. And another thing that they would do is, is in Jerusalem, they would have this massive menorah set up that would light these candles. And these candles were only lit on certain days or certain, certain uh, this, this particular, particular festival. It was only lit for those eight days. And during these eight days, they would light the candles and they would stay on the entire time. And then on the ninth day, they would, they would take the candles and they would put it out. Well, Jesus shows up, and he says, I am the light of the world on the ninth day. And see, the candle was to symbolize what was taking place hundreds of years ago, where Jesus led the Israelites by fire at night and cloud during the day. But when that light goes out, Jesus says, I am the light. I am the light of the world. And I think oftentimes in our culture, right, like we, we tend to not think a whole lot about electricity or about light. I mean, I've got some light shining on me, right? We all have a light on us right now. Did you know that? It's called your telephone. It's called your telephone. It's got a little light on it. I did not know that with the iPhone, if you hold this, I'm going to butcher this. If you hold it, I can't even do it. I didn't realize that you could adjust the light setting. 
on your phone, all right? Until the other day, Christy was like, hey, you can uh, turn that down because it's really bright. I'm like, I'm sorry, honey. I love you. You're awesome, you know? Um, and so she taught me how to be able to do that. But um, I, 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 I don't think that we quite understand the purpose or the, the power of light in our modern world because we're just so used to it especially in the city, which I hear is on the other side of the river, right? Um, Brooklyn is not the city. I'll get to that in a minute. But in Genesis chapter 1, it, went, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, the significance of light, especially in a Hebrew culture. It says, And in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Don't you just love that where there is darkness, where there is void, that the Spirit of God is still in the midst of that, doing something, moving, starting to create things? In verse 3, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And I think that it's interesting that nothing else could be created until the source of life was in, in existence, where the light ended up coming out, and after that, God then allowed the rest of the creation to take place. I think that that's interesting, because this is the condition of our world. And if you call yourself a Christian, this was your condition before you met Jesus. We were void, we were in darkness, and we were without form. But thank God that Jesus shows up on the scene and He starts speaking to us. His light invades our life and He starts molding us and transforming us and taking what was absolutely nothing and forming us into a beautiful masterpiece for His kingdom and for His glory. And this is what Jesus desires and wants to do in all of us, with all of us, and ultimately with the entire world is to bring us and make us into a beautiful creation. Make us into something that is significant. And so whenever Jesus pipes up and he says, I am the light of the world, this isn't something that people would just be like, okay, that's cool, and just continue walking. It angered the Pharisees because it was referencing light from all the way back at the beginning of time. And, and, and so they're saying, like, wait, what, what do you mean you are the light of the world? And essentially what Jesus was saying is, you know that light that you guys read about and you talk about every year? I was there. I am that light. I am the creator of all things. I got to go to Texas last week. It was great. Um, there's some things down in Texas that are a lot different than in New York. Uh, for instance, I got, I, guys, I kid you not, I got mask, masked shamed. Did I say that right? Mask shamed. For wearing a mask. I kid you not. Like, I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there like this. And this dude is like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just not going to, I'm just going to ignore you, right? I'm just going to, like, go over here. And, just, and the other guy I was with, he's like, oh, He's, he's a moron. Just don't listen. I'm just like, it's like, what are you doing? Why are you wearing your mask? And I just, I kind of did like the, uh, I'm from New York. It's kind of like a walk of shame, right? I get to the airport, 
we're on federal property, get to the airport in Houston, and as we get off the jet bridge, I, kid, I swear to you, I kid you not, we walk out into the terminal, and I see men and women just whoosh, like ripping off their face mask, and I'm like, where am I? You know, it was, um, I wore my face mask, and so I, I, you know, it is what it is, don't hate on me. Um, but anyways, here's what I'm getting to. That has nothing to do with my message at all. Um, on my way back, I had a 5 a.m. flight from Houston to Detroit and then Detroit to Albany. And on my 5 a.m. flight, first off, I don't know why they have flights at 5 a.m. I don't even think Jesus is up at 5 a.m., all right? It's just like, it's like I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. And I literally did not sleep the night before. Um, but while I'm there, uh, I get on the plane and I'm sitting there and I lift up my window and they're like, you know, we're about to take off. And so we take off and I'm like, finally, we're up in the air. And the first 20 to 30 minutes of my flight, I'm looking out my window and it's complete darkness outside, complete darkness until this little, little light appears on the horizon. And that light started getting brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. And I'm looking at darkness and what looks like it's void and formless. And then God's light shows up and I'm able to see God's masterpiece in creation whenever it is illuminated by something that God created, by the light. And I believe that that's what God wants to do in all of our lives is the dark areas in our life he wants to illuminate. While I was down there in Texas, I got an opportunity to hear from a guy by the name of Pastor Lance, um, and he's, he's, he's just a funny guy. He says stuff that I can't say until I cross like 50 years old um, because it's just mutual respect and he can do that because he's, he's like, you guys, maybe you'll understand. I don't know, but anyways. Um, but he gave this analogy, and as he gave this analogy, I text my wife, and I'm like, this dude is hysterical. I'm stealing this analogy. And so I'm stealing the analogy that he gave last week, and I'm using it for this right here, all right? And he said this. God works in seasons in our life. Sometimes we go through a season of rest. Sometimes we go through a season of healing. Sometimes we go through a season of pruning. Sometimes we go through a season of harvest. Satan works in cycles. And the tendency for us as Christians is sometimes we get stuck in a cycle and we want to label it a season. And we don't want to call it what it actually is of being stuck in a cycle, which more often than not is sin that we're dealing with and we're not allowing the light of God to expose it in our hearts so that we can then move into a season of healing and redemption. And, and let, me give you, let me give you a few examples, right? How many of you guys, you've had a job and you just thought that your boss was an idiot, right? Like, don't raise your hands, all right? But don't raise your hands. But, but here's, here's what happens, all right? And so this is a cycle. This is a cycle. 
I get a new job. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I got, you know, 25 cent raise. Thank you, God. Six months into it, my boss is really starting to tick me off. Another six months. My boss is the worst. I absolutely cannot work here anymore because of my boss. I got a new job. I got a $1.25 raise. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you. Six months later, my boss is really starting to tick me off. I just don't. Another six months, my boss is a complete moron. Like, what is going on? I got another job. And by the time you get to your third job, your friends start to realize, especially whenever you keep saying that your boss is an idiot, it is very possible that the boss isn't an idiot, that you're the actual idiot, and you don't want to be able to deal with that. All right, can I say that? Is that okay? Y'all don't get offended by that. If you're offended, we can talk. You might be stuck in a cycle, all right? Um, Relationships. Relationships. If you keep bouncing from friend, and then six months later, you got another best friend, hey, and then just another six months, you got, a, you got another best friend. This is why I love 1230. I can cut loose in here, right? Um, and then six months later, you got another best friend. I think the possibility may be that the issue isn't your friends. The issue is that you don't know how to have proper God-honoring relationships that bring glory to God. Uh, let me give you another example. Pornography. Ooh, it got real quiet in here. All right, there we go. How long you been dealing with pornography? Oh, pastor, I've been dealing with it for 10 years. Satan just keeps attacking me. No, brother, I don't think Satan's attacking you. I think Satan had you over nine years ago, and he's just going to let you sit there because you're not willing to admit that you've got a problem, and he's moved on to somebody else to deal with. Satan isn't attacking you anymore because you've been stuck in that cycle. Satan's had you for a while. You've been dealing with the same issue for 10 years. Chances are you're not in a season of your life. You were in a cycle that you've allowed yourself to get stuck in. Or money. Spending habits, right? Spending habits, bling, bling, every time I turn around the corner, like, oh, I like those new shoes. We were talking earlier, man. We were talking, I like, I love to shop. Don't hate on me. I'm glad you like my shirt. That makes me feel good, right? Anytime I come to Brooklyn and people are complimenting my outfit, I'm like, I'm doing good in this world. <laughs> I, I kid you not. I kid you not. I'm, I'm, being, I'm being for real. But like, if you keep finding yourself in debt, it isn't that you don't know how to manage money. Oh, maybe that is it. You're stuck in a cycle, and you need some freedom and some counseling and some healing to be able to get out of that. Let me get, let me get real practical with you guys right here. Your thoughts. Your thoughts. Are you allowing your thoughts to keep you in a cycle? Saying you're not good enough, you're worthless, you're never going to amount to anything. Can I just tell you right now that that is not from God? That is not a season that he has placed you in. That is a cycle that the enemy has encamped you in. And that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Because Jesus, Jesus Christ came to this earth to die so that you could be redeemed. So that you can renew your mind with the thoughts of Christ. So that you could be restored. So that you can walk in a manner of holiness that Jesus has called you to. Why? Because you are a child of God and a co-heir with Jesus Christ. And so so if your thoughts are constantly keeping you down right here, chances are Satan has placed you in a cycle. 
Are you in a cycle? Or are you in a season? If you're in a season, you're eventually going to hit a season of harvest. If you're in a cycle, that ain't of God. But God wants to expose that. He wants to deal with that. He wants to invade that area that you might be stuck in that cycle. And this is where we see in John chapter 8, the ninth day of this festival. Well, festival just ended. And Jesus shows up and he says, early in the morning he came again to the temple and all the people came to him. And he sat down and he taught them. Verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Which, can I just throw this out there? I think that it's interesting that these Pharisees have got so much time in their hands that they can literally catch this woman in the act of adultery. Like, what are you up to, bro? Like, can we just have that conversation for a minute? Like, what, like, what are you up to right here? What's, what's going on? Continues on in, in verse 5. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone this woman or such woman. So what do you say? And they said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote this with his finger, or wrote with his finger in the ground. And they continued to ask him. He stood up and he said to them, Let he who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Now I want you to think about this for just a moment. Think about what's happening right here. Jesus, right after the festival of, or the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus is sitting there and he's about to start teaching his disciples, about to start, start having a conversation, right? He's saying like, hey, let me tell you about this and this. And the next thing you know is you've got these religious leaders, these Pharisees, and they're saying, hey, Jesus! And they're dragging this woman who had just been caught in the act of adultery. And they throw her down on the ground at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus is sitting there, sitting down. And he stands up. And he looks at this woman. And could you just imagine the embarrassment in her eyes. Could you just imagine what's just going through her at this moment? And she's thrown in front of the most popular rabbi, so popular that it's, it's making all of the other leaders in the religious community or in the Jewish community angry. And this rabbi leans down on one knee and he starts writing in the sand. And many theologians believe that he started writing the sins of the people around him in the sand. He starts writing, liar, 
murderer. Unfaithful. Thief. And as Jesus starts writing these things, one by one by one, the religious leaders start turning away and walking away. Now, we don't know exactly what Jesus wrote, but just go with me for just a minute. What Scripture does say is that the older ones were the first one to leave. And what I know is as I get older in my life, my baggage gets longer and longer and longer. And so I really do believe that it's very plausible that as Jesus was writing these sins, or as Jesus was writing to the ground right here, that he started writing out the sins of the men and the women who were there accusing this adulterer. Until he gets done writing everything. And there's just this woman sitting there, embarrassed. And Jesus leans down, reaches out his hand, and helps her get up. Where have your accusers gone? Lord, there's no one. So who condemns you? No one? Well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And then he turns to his disciples. And in the very next verse, he says, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life come upon them. And I genuinely believe that Jesus wants to invade the hidden areas. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. And even being caught in the act of adultery, the light of the world was merciful, compassionate, and gracious to her and said, get up and sin no more. I do not continue. Keep going. Keep pursuing. Keep fighting. So here's the thing, guys. There's, there's two characters in this story. There's Jesus, and you're definitely not Jesus. You're either the Pharisee or you're the adulterous woman. You might be saying, well, Michael, I, I don't know about that. Like, look, just, just bear with me. The adulterous woman is someone who allowed the light of God to expose her sin. And grace and mercy and love ended up meeting her. The Pharisee is the one who is condemning the person who needed grace and love. And I pray to God that we are not the Pharisee that is condemning a world that needs grace and love and peace, that needs the light of the world. I pray to God that we are like the adulterous woman, recognizing that we need Jesus. We need the light of the world to be shining upon us. You know what else is interesting is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, you are the light of the world. And so Jesus is the ultimate light. He is the source. He is the light of the world. But we as his disciples get to go be the light to our world, the light to the world around us. My son Judah, he's, I mean, he, 
He's a nerd. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> like, he knows this. He's into video games and fantasy and science, and I love it, man. It's so cool. But a few years ago, he was maybe three, four years old. We got those little, like, glow-in-the-dark stars. You guys know what I'm talking about? And we, like, put it on the ceiling, and his first night, it was, oh, it was so cute because we're sitting there, and the, the lights are up there, and, and turn out the lights. And he's like, oh! <gasps> I've got stars on my ceiling, Dad. This is so cool. So cool. And it's like we try doing like the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper and Orion's Belt and stuff and connecting everything. Not like he knows what any of that is, you know, but you're just trying to make it cool. And so I go downstairs and I think that he's asleep. And about 15, 20, minute, 20 minutes later, I hear, Dad, Dad. And so me, I rush upstairs and I'm like, whoa. What's up, buddy? What's up? It's like, the lights, the lights, the stars, they're gone. They're like, what happened to the lights? I was like, oh, buddy, these, these things are rechargeable. They've got to get connected to a source. And so I flipped on the main light switch. And we let the main light switch be on so that they could get their energy from the source so that whenever the darkness entered into his room again, because they were getting their energy from the source, they were able to illuminate what it was that they had inside of them. How true is that with us? That the more we are connected to the source of light, to the light of the world, the more that we can radiate and illuminate His glory in our lives to people who have never experienced that light of the world. And so here's my prayer. My prayer is that when we leave here today, we will allow the source, the light, to be present in our life. And that when we go out of these walls in the next 15 minutes or so, that source, that light, will radiate through us to other people so that they could encounter the light, Jesus Christ. Will you guys stand with me this morning? I just want to close this out in a word of prayer, and we're going to worship. And Chris is going to come up and close this out. And look, I want to thank you guys for being here for the 1230. And I'm believing God's going to do something powerful with this service. But Father, we just thank you. God, we thank you that you are the source. You are the light of the world. And Father, let it be that we could illuminate, that we could radiate your light your light inside of us to the world around us. That, Father, where we may see that things are void and formless, that you want to shine your light, you want to expose sin, and, God, you want to bring complete healing and purpose and meaning to Brooklyn, New York. Father, I thank you for this city. God, I thank you for this neighborhood. And Father, we just ask that your light would radiate, the light of Jesus Christ would radiate in this community, God. Father, I thank you for Resurrection Church, God. And I just ask that your light would just radiate from this place, God. That it would be a beacon of hope, Jesus. Father, we just thank you and we worship you. In Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. We pray that you were blessed by this word.
more information about our church, please visit our website at resurrectionchurchofny.com or give us a call at 718-436-0242. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at reschurchnyc. Take care and God bless.